Hello, pod people. This is just a reminder that Big Bad Nonsense can be found on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Send us an email, bigbadnonsense at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at bigbadnonsense. If you like the show, share it with a friend. Yeah, like, that's, I had the same story so many people do. It's like, then I put my fist up my ass and lost $100 on a hand of blackjack and kind of went from there. Okay, I think you might have to tell that story again because I think you cut out for several parts of it. Yeah, we're having some connection issues, I think. Yeah, I was like, it, all I heard was I had the same story as everyone else and then there was a pause and then there's the fist up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I heard nothing in between there. <laughs> Hello, pod people, and welcome back to another episode of Big Bad Nonsense. My name is Sock, and I'm sitting here with the man who has released his tax returns to the American people, not because he's running for political office, but because it's comedy gold, Biscuit. Hey, what happened when the butcher accidentally backed into his meat grinder? What? He got a little behind in his work. These, 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 like, vary between, like, uh, you know, late elementary school uh, dirty jokes and, like, absolute dad jokes. Yeah, and then, like, every now and then there's one that's just racist and everybody's like, well, well, there's no template here. <laughs> uh, maybe we need to find a sort of running theme that works with opening jokes. Oh, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at, thank you. Okay, all right. Fair enough. So, Biscuit, we've got a great show lined up for everyone today. How are you feeling? Are you feeling pumped? I am amped. Amped. You should be amped because uh, unlike uh, previous months, we've actually stuck to a more, ooh, what can I say, conservative gap in between our episodes? Yeah, two in a row. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've done several in a row. It's just that the row isn't, uh, you know, spaced very Regularly. Yeah, well, I was busy over the weekend, okay? All right. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. By the way, don't go to Atlantic City. It's fucking expensive. Really? You enjoyed yourself then at this big wrestling event? Oh, the show was the greatest thing I've been to in my life, but the casinos, I lost like $250 in like an hour and a half, so you might want to skip that part. The house always wins, Biscuit. The house always wins. You go in there, and an hour and a half later, you're out like 250 bucks, and you get your fist in your ass, so you might want to steer away from that part. I've never been much of a gambler myself, so I think I'll follow your advice. Yeah, me either. I That was like the fifth or sixth time in my life I've been to a casino. One time I won like 700 bucks, and every other time I've lost. Mm, there you go. So the end result is that you're down. Yeah, very much so. Okay. Well, keep Biscuits and Vice in mind, people, and we're going to move on to the first part of our show. Biscuit, let's open up the mailbag. Yay! (laughs) So, a couple emails today. Uh, First, we're going to look at this one from John, uh, who is from Wisconsin. I don't know how amazing a place that is. Is that an amazing place? Um, it's cheese. (laughs) Well... Uh, John says... And the Packers. Okay. 
Oh, right, the, the people who wear the, and with the fans who wear the cheese, the foam cheese on their heads. Yes, because that's a healthy identity to have. There you go. Okay, so John writes to us from Wisconsin, and he says, uh, now this is an interesting story, and you're going to love how this starts. He says, I went to the butcher. <laughs> you know what's coming. And he fell ass first into the meat grinder. <laughs> I went to the butcher, and I asked him if he could uh, sell me some oh, cow yes, udder. yes. <laughs> Okay, it goes on. So he says, I went to the butcher and I asked him if he could sell me some cow udder uh, because I wanted to play uh, a joke on my friends uh, like Horace DeVera Cole did where he hung the cow udder out of his trousers and then cut it off with scissors. <laughs> but he said uh, when the butcher gave him the, uh, the cow udder and plopped it on the counter, he was so horrified by how large and ungainly it was that he just, uh, he just walked away. <laughs> Little intimidated, John. <laughs> well, I, I mean, cow udders are not small, right? I mean, they, uh, you know, if we think back to when we were talking about Horace de Vera Cole, it's like even you said that seems a very, a very inconvenient thing to do to shove a cow udder down your yeah. pants. Yeah, you know, all of John's Wisconsin friends are like, "Yeah, I seen John's dick, and that ain't John's dick." <laughs> Well, I guess John had never been around a cow very much because it seems like the size of the udder just absolutely blew him away, and he was like, okay, I'm not do dealing with that. I'm, I'm guessing he just saw it and then thought of the concept of it being all over his short and curly, yeah. which is understandable, but it's fucking gross. Yes, yes. Uh, look, listen, people, we're, we're, we're going to have to say it right now, like, do not try to do anything that you hear about on this show. You should do all of it. No, you you, you shouldn't do any of it. Like if it, John, you you were thinking of putting this cow udder in your trousers, pretending it was your schlong, and cutting it off with scissors. Like I, I I'm gonna go as far as to say that's borderline sexual harassment. <laughs> <laughs> You should have gone with the eclair route. <laughs> and and, and uh, I, I forget who it was, our, our listener from Florida, who and she made the cow utter eclairs. Like, she specifically said, like, they're absolutely revolting and, and threw them Susan, away. Susan, right? Susan, yes. I want to say Susan. I, I think it was Susan from Florida. We should know this. She's the winner of our first, you know, Brave Stuff Award or whatever we called it. But, you know, she was so revolted by it that she threw it in the rubbish. Like, there's, there's nothing we really talk about on our show that is going to end well for you if you try it in real life. Except the nuclear reactor. You should all be trying to build that shit no, right fucking no, now. No, no, no. Don't listen to Biscuit. Definitely do not do that one. The, oh, the only one I could say with any confidence that might be fun to try is the whole building a goat in someone's house. <laughs> or hiding a live one in there. Well, <laughs> so there's probably legal issues to that, too. But. <laughs> and and if you do hide, like, a straw goat in someone's house, like, I recommend you do it to a family member, not, like, a neighbor or something who will charge you with breaking and entering. <sighs> <laughs> Just a killjoy. That's what you are. I, I understand I may be a killjoy, but... <laughs> I I just I, I really want to emphasize people like I don't think that there's going to be any good result from trying anything that you hear on this show. Okay, we we do Go have on another a boat and blow someone's leg off and eat it. Oh god. <laughs> okay, we have another email here uh, from someone named also named John, 
Uh, and he's from uh, AK. I- is that Arkansas? <laughs> uh, you think an American knows stuff? I think that's Alaska. Is it Alaska? God, I should really, <laughs> I should really know this shit, shouldn't I? I <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is what is the postal code AK? I, I mean, unless like he's telling me that he's got like an AK, like the 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 gun, like he's got an AK forty-seven. You know, I was trying out for a job in um like logistics a while ago and i had this shit down for uh apparently not too long (laughs) but at one point i could have answered that question okay so john from a state with an a name writes to us (laughs) (laughs) writes to us what how many states is that the uh, alaska alabama arkansas i I guess really alaska or arkansas it's going to be there's no other states with an a and a k in their name yeah it's definitely one or the other okay whatever john the american Okay, so John John the American uh, writes to us and says that we should do an episode on Brexit. I was right, it was Alaska. And yeah, that would be a fun episode. Still kind of an ongoing clusterfuck, though. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I would love to do an episode on Brexit, but the problem is, is that it's still ongoing. So, like, who knows how stupid it could get? Do you report on everything yeah. that's so dumb up until now? Or do you go for the climax of whatever bananas is going to result at the end. Yeah, and, you know, like, every now and then there's hints of sides trying to come towards some sort of a reasonable compromise, and then, you know, like, Trump sticks his head in, and it's like, <laughs> and then it all goes back to shit again. So it, it's really something that I think it'd be a better episode down the line. It's definitely an awesome topic, but... Myself personally, and I think a lot of other people in Europe, we are suffering from Brexit fatigue. We're just so sick of hearing about it. Like every time I go to a news website, it's like, oh, today in Brexit. And it's like, oh, geez, go to hell. I can see where that would be a thing. See, us in America, we only care about ourselves, so we don't talk about it as much. You have to actually go looking for it. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, John, we will definitely put that one on the back burner. I definitely think Brexit is something we could talk about. Uh, even if we just talk about like Nigel Farage for like an entire episode because that guy is ridiculous all on his own. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of content there. It's a good suggestion. Mm-hmm. John the American. <laughs> so, John, we'll put that one on the back burner. Definitely keep it for a later date. Uh, Biscuit, we've got a couple more emails here, but uh, they're just people saying boat. Keep it going. It makes me happy. <laughs> boat! <laughs> Okay, so with that, let's close up the mailbag and move on with the show. Biscuit. What? What would be... If, let's, let's imagine the situation. Imagine with me, Biscuit. If you could work a job where you'd just be happy doing that job, like not having to worry about money or finances or anything else, where would you like to work? Like what would be in like your Freelance top... Actually, I think you would probably not enjoy that job. No, that probably ruins some stuff for me. <laughs> um, like, if you could be in a workplace where you're like, wow, this is really neat that I get to be part of this. Like, what, what, what would you put in the top ten? It's like, hey, it's great to work here. Like, not having to worry about money or anything like that. I mean, honestly, I'd, I'd love to be near the top working for, like, the NHL or the NFL just being part of one of these 
massive sporting leagues that just coordinating events and all that shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Deathmatch Wrestler? I, I would, you know, I, I did the Deathmatch Wrestler part, and I think I'm done with that because it fucking hurts. <laughs> but I would, I, I'd love to be part of, like, one of the road crews for that, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See, usually when you ask someone like this, let's say, hey, if you didn't have to worry about money or like, uh, you know, know, what would be the job you'd want to work just to sort of feel free in your job? Most people would say something like, you know, uh, working in a record shop or being like a roadie for a band or like in your case, like working for like a sporting league. That would be one, too. What about working in a brewery? That's one that, yeah, that's high up there for a lot of people. I. I know some people that have done it, and it, it, it's more work than I think people realize. But yeah, on paper, it sounds like a fun romp. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you're a fan of beer. I. <laughs> Do you have any particularly favorite beers? Really, just anything really hoppy. I like like IPA, that sort of thing. There's a couple around here that I'm not going to bother plugging because they don't make it far outside the state. But yeah, anything really hoppy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about Canadian beers? <laughs> <laughs> I I, that, I guess that's not so good then. I haven't sampled the region that heavily, but when I think of it, I think of like Labatt Blue. I'm like, oh boy. Okay, well, like Labatt Blue and Molson Canadian, like those are like the the, the big ones, of course. But like, there's there's lesser. Well, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I I can't drink beer anymore myself personally because it makes me sick now. I think I've developed some sort of an allergy to it. A lot of people pity me for that, but I've sort of, you know, opened up my palate to other different kinds of alcohol because of it. You know, outside of the uh, the the Molson Canadian or the Labatt Blue, uh, there's a lot of other different varieties of Canadian beers that are pretty widely distributed and like that you can find in the America uh, all over the United States if if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm sure there are. I just I don't tend to look by origin, so I'm I guess I'm a little more ignorant on that part than you were hoping to be, but ta-da. Okay. What about Moosehead? Are you familiar with Moosehead? Um yes, a little bit. I have tried it. Okay. What about uh Keith's Pale Ale? Nope. No, you haven't tried it. I don't think so. Okay, Alexander Keese, India Pale Ale. Not ringing a bell, bro. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, I do know that in Canada, it's pretty widespread. Uh, they're a very popular brewery. Y- you know, here's the thing, too, that uh, it seems to me that, uh, you know, most beer companies are all owned by, like, two conglomerates now anyway. Like, either it's owned by, like, either Heineken or InBev. So, really, these are all made by the same people now. Generally speaking, yeah. I mean, you you got the smaller ones that are run by a couple of people but um those are getting lesser and lesser i i knew uh, a couple here that they had been run their own brewery for a couple of years and, and then they sold their shares and got out of it because it was just too much for them so i think that one um went corporate too mm-hmm. well i mean like these massive conglomerates like they they own so many different varieties of brewery like y- even if you compete with one of their brands they've got five others that you know, might just push you out of the market. So, like, really, like, unless it's, like, some sort of local craft beer, it's not going to really have much success widespread. But one beer that does is Alexander Keese India Pale Ale, which is, uh, mm. I would say, widely known around in Canada, and I think quite well known in the United States, too. Listeners, you can send me an email correcting me or not, but 
if you drink this beer, let me know. But uh, we're not really concerned with the beer itself, as we are with a man who worked at the brewery. Did he stick his butt in it? Alexander Keese uh, Brewery in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, was founded by none other than Alexander Keiths. And we're not talking specifically about him, but we're going to talk about his nephew. And his nephew was kind of the black sheep of the family. His ne- Now, here's where it's going to get a little bit confusing, because the nephew, his name was also Alexander Keith. Uh, so we've got uncle and nephew who both have the same name. Now, just to keep things clear, I'm going to call him Alexander Keith Jr., but obviously he's not his son. He's his nephew, but he did pose as his son, which is going to get into, like, sort of how this story goes. My brain already hurts. <laughs> so, Alexander Keith, the younger, Alexander Keith Jr., he came from Scotland when he was quite young. He moved to uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. He went to start working in his uncle's brewery as a clerk. Also, his name was Alexander Keith. But we're not worried about the owner of the brewery. We're just worried about the Alexander Keith Jr. Now, considered a little bit of a black sheep because he kind of had envy for his uncle in a way because, of course, his uncle owns this large and successful brewery and he's just a lowly clerk. Also known as the black sheep because he's from Scotland he likes fucking them. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It, I... <laughs> Once we get to, like, episode 100... Hey, take a three-point stance. <laughs> Once we get to, like, episode 100, I'm going to have to go back and, like, trace the, the the running jokes that you introduce here and see how many episodes they extend through. Yeah, just going to keep forcing the issue. Yeah. Anyway, later on in life, Alexander Keith Jr., would become known as the Dynamite Fiend. That sounds promising. It does sound promising. Uh, it's also a little bit gory. Uh, but it's, uh, he was known as the Dynamite Fiend later in life. We'll get to why that is in just a moment. But I, I think that title right there is just so wonderfully 1800. It's like the Dynamite Fiend, right? It's like it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's like not the the kind of uh, name we'd give to criminals in the modern age. Look for a lucky bottle of Alexander Keys that has a stick of dynamite. <laughs> okay, before we get to the reason why he was called the Dynamite Fiend, let's talk a little bit about his character. We've got another bit of a swindler to talk about here, a scammer and a swindler, and that's who Alexander Keith Jr. Was He was a bit of a swindler. Known by Sandy, the name Sandy around town, he was... Very early on, he started to get involved in some sketchy stuff, I guess we could say. As a clerk of his uncle's company, he had access to financial documents, so he would sometimes uh, do a little bit of the uh, forgery on uh, delivery and uh, payment and things like that, you know... uh, Maybe slip a few things into his own pocket. Cook the books a little bit. Classic. Cook the books a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Write uh, fake uh, waybills and things like that. Uh, fake invoices, or deliveries that never arrived or was never delivered. That's exactly the kind of guy that you want handling your finances. Yeah, oh, good. yeah, definitely. I can only assume they kept him around because he's, you know, the nephew of the boss. That and... I mean, it's easier to make a few bucks disappear here and there than people realize. So he 
probably slipped under the radar. Well, uh, I guess it was enough. Uh, like he also did some things like uh, for- forging checks under his uh, uncle's name and things like that, uh, shady deals with banks and things like that. Whatever it was, That's I guess. Subtle. Yeah, right. Whatever it was, I guess either it was subtle enough that nobody cared, or he was close enough to his uncle that nobody cared. Something, but they're they're aware that this sort of thing happened. Things get um, things escalate. Let's say. Yay! <laughs> Not on the brewery side, but uh, on his uh, alternative business deals side, because uh, Alexander Keith Jr. He uh, this is around the time when the Civil War in the United States broke out, and he was out there selling people cigars, and then. He'd run away, and they'd take a puff and be like, wait a minute, this is a stick of dynamite! (laughs) And that's how he got to be known as the Dynamite Fiend. Mm, Not quite. I've always wondered if those exploding cigars, is that a real thing, or is that just something invented for cartoons? The United States tried to take out Castro with one once. Really? It did not work. Oh, yes, I've read about this. This is one of the CIA's many plots. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking about that, that they tried to take Castro with a fucking like rubber cigar. It did, did not go well. <laughs> Oh, sounds like fodder for another episode. Yeah, Castro would be a good one, and the attempts to take him out. Yeah, that there's definitely something there. Yeah, but okay, now that makes me curious if they got it from the cartoons or if this is something <laughs> that they came up with just on their own. I would love to think that the CIA, like, they plan their operations by, like, fucking watching Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Okay, well, Alexander Keith Jr., he he didn't deal in exploding cigars. That's not why he was known as the Dynamite Fiend. The whole Dynamite Fiend episode, that comes much later. What happened was the Civil War in America broke out. Now, anytime there's a conflict in the world, Biscuit, what happens? Um, government's profit. Governments and various shady individuals. Well, yeah. Yeah, Alexander Keith Jr. being one of those. Good for him. Good for him. So, uh, he was not alone in this, of course. In Halifax, which is a harbor, a harbor Canadian city, it was known for blockade runners. Now, for those of you who aren't as familiar with the history of the American Civil War, Biscuit will now explain what that is. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> no? I, I, the term... I'm not familiar with specifically. I would assume it's people that you have like runners for messages and shit like that to get from one side of the conflict to the other. Okay. Well, don't be ashamed of not knowing because I had to, you know, read up about it myself. But do, do you not learn about the American Civil War in school? Uh, was that a thing? Was that here? <laughs> Okay, so for listeners who aren't aware of the history of the American Civil War, uh, and Biscuit apparently, (laughs) okay, so the South, of course, uh, tries to secede from the United States, and then uh, the United States Army or Navy, I guess, they institute a blockade around it because they don't want people supplying the South with uh, arms, ammunition, food, and resources because they want to bring an end to the war, of course. This opens up a business for people to stock up on goods, to run the blockade, sneak through, sneak past the American Navy, get into the South, and then sell 
whatever it is they need, whether it be uh, boots or clothing or foodstuffs or gunpowder, what have you. What's that? Boats. Boats. Yeah. Did you say boats or goats? Got it. I said boat. <laughs> boat. <laughs> oh, I'm never going to live that down. Okay. So being in Halifax, uh, Sandy Jr., he was primely poised to deal with these people. So you've got Confederates coming from the south looking for people to help them uh, acquire ships, to help them acquire supplies, and then to ship them to the south to help the war effort of the Confederate States of America. So already he's dealing with the wrong side of history because we all know how that turned out. Uh, you know, slavery, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They tried to leave the United States. Who wants to support slavery? Like, they did. So... I. I live in the South, and don't tell them that I lost. <laughs> so, his unscrupulous behavior continued, of course. See, one of the things that, of course, these people are running through the American Navy, basically. They're trying to sneak around the American Navy. And the American Navy knows that they're going about this, right? They know that, like, hey, people are going to try and smuggle goods through the blockade, to the south. So, of course, any boats that try and do that, they've got all their guns pointed at them. So, of course, regularly, these boats get lost. They get blown up, shot, you know, blown to smithereens, what have you. It's a pretty high-risk profession. Definitely a high-risk profession. So, what he would frequently do is uh, he would list himself as the owner. Like, he's helping Confederates purchase these boats, like these blockade runners purchase these boats, but he would list himself as the owner on the insurance. So, of course, when they get lost, he makes all the money. That's so fucking morbid and shitty and brilliant. It is in a way. I mean, because here he is. He's like, oh, yes, I totally support your cause of, like, seceding from the United States. Long live slavery. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, how about that oppression, huh? Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, turns around and, like, when they inevitably, some of these boats inevitably get lost, he makes a profit off it. So he profits either way. First, he's dealing in goods to help support the secession of the Confederate States of America. And if that fails, then he profits off the insurance money. So, I mean, he's he's got a nice little system going. He does. He does. Big Bad Nonsense is brought to you by... Hey folks, do you like cow udders? Well, come on down to Terrari's Cow Udder Emporium for all of your cow udder needs. Whether you're making eclairs or just shoving them down your trousers, Terrari's Cow Udder Emporium has everything you need. All udders come 100% certified mastitis free. Come on down for our new special. Buy three cow udders and get a bottle of Nair for free. That's Terrari's Cow Udder Emporium. If it's not Terrari's, it's utter nonsense. This one, I think, is particularly interesting because, of course, the South was in desperate need of supplies. One thing that uh, some Southern workers or whatever, some people from the Confederate States of America wanted to acquire was some locomotives. Because, of course, you know, if you've read anything about the history of the American Civil War, trains were key. They were key for moving troops, supplies, and all that very quickly. Now, we're going to shoot them with the train. <laughs> <laughs> just wait until they're on the tracks and try and run them over. They just have this gigantic catapult and just fucking launch trains into the north. <laughs> Fuck you, liberals! <laughs> okay, anyway. So, uh, one man, K. 
came to him and uh, gave him $25,000 to procure two locomotives. At the same time, he went to uh, some other guys and he offered to sell, th these are other confederates, uh, he went to some other confederates and he offered them the same locomotives for 60000 That's a shitload of money back then. Oh yes, definitely, definitely. Uh, so he sold the same two locomotives to two different people. Ah, well... That's not going to cause any issues. Well, it didn't because somehow the uh, the Union, the United States of America, found out that these locomotives were going to be delivered and seized them. Oh, somehow well, they found out. Ah, you're hinting at something, aren't you? He tipped them off. He tipped off the Union. Yeah, yeah. he's like a fucking onion peeling back like layers of double-crossing people. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I even double-crossed myself. <laughs> uh, see, it's one of these stories where you don't know how to feel. Because on one hand, you're like, well, he supported the Confederate States of America. That puts him on the wrong side of history. But then you find out that he also turned around and double-crossed these people. And you're kind of like, uh... There's some likable elements to him. I mean, the whole promoting slavery part's kind of not great, but... Then, like you said, then he comes and he fucks him over later, so... Mm. Definitely not a guy that you would count on for his loyalty. Another thing, too, like, one of, with the, uh, the case with the ships that I mentioned before, like these blockade-running ships that they had, uh, he would make the insurance money off of them being lost, of course, and, of course, it's not like he gave any of the money that he earned off the insurance to the widows of the people who are on board or anything like that. So it's not like he's some sort of a Robin Hood. Oh, no, like, he would see some, like, meek, scraggly-looking guy coming up trying to get a boat, and he'd look at him and be like, oh, that one's gonna die, fucking sweet, and then he'd insure the boat. Yeah, pretty much, right? So I, I think, you know, it wasn't a sure thing that these boats would get caught trying to run the blockade, but it was definitely high risk. So he knew that no matter what, he was going to come out on the end, right, with some profit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's something that you, you only get caught once. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kill you. <laughs> uh, there is some speculation, but not much proof, that he might have actually tried to actively sabotage some of these blockade-running boats because he could take both the money for procuring them and the supplies and also the insurance money, but the evidence for it is a little bit sketchy at best. That would kind of push him the wrong direction again, because that's not fair. <laughs> and war is all about fairness. Oh, yes, of course. Like, everyone is fair in war. Yeah, particularly when, you know, you have a side forcing black people to fight for them when what they're fighting for is that they can, like, go home and beat the shit out of them. It was a very, very nice time. Oh, yes, I'm sure. I would love to go back in time and live among those. No, I can't even say that seriously. Yeah, if you if you want some rough reading sometime, go look up some stuff about, like, the medical tents during the Civil War, because, woof! <laughs> like... I have... Uh... I've seen several documentaries on the Civil War, and they never describe the doctoring profession as one that evokes pleasant thoughts. No, um, they basically just run around with a handsaw all day. Yeah, 
Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I have to I have to try and make a conscious effort now to actively steer us away from any time we get to something too gross. Yeah, I I always bring up something morbidly depressing and then <laughs> you <laughs> That's where you come in. <laughs> I'm usually the one who brings up the horrible things. Okay, never mind. Let's not argue about that. Speaking of uh medic medicine at the time, one of the things and this is going to really make uh Sandy slide down low on the sympathy scale, is that he attempted, uh, with the help of a an American doctor, some early biological warfare. Yeah, no. Boo. <laughs> Chemical weapons always make you the asshole. Yeah, pretty much. He did attempt early biological warfare with the help of an American doctor. So I'm going to bring up the name Luke Blackburn. Now, if you're not versed on tons of American history, you won't know the name. So I'm going to bring up Dr. Luke Blackburn, who was working in Bermuda uh, to help treat uh, yellow fever patients. He conspired with uh, Sandy Keith to take their clothing, blankets, and things like that, and uh, to pack it up in crates and then sell it in the northern states in the hopes that this yellow fever would be transmitted to all of these northerners. So basically biological warfare. Ah, the Native American trick. Yes, exactly. Like the same sort of thing that uh, the United States as a whole did to the Native Americans where they gave them smallpox blankets. They said, it's it's the same sort of idea. It's like, we'll take this infected yeah. clothing and like give it to the north and basically everyone will get yellow fever and die. Yeah, it's, it was fucked up then and it's fucked up now. Luckily, in this case... Uh, yellow fever, of course, is malaria, which is transmitted by mosquitoes. So this didn't work. Ah, poor guys. <laughs> so basically, uh, no malaria was transmitted. The The plan failed, although some controversy did come up a little bit later. Actually, the uh, Dr. Luke Blackburn, the man who supposedly helped perpetrate this attempted biological warfare, he went on to become the uh, governor of Kentucky. That sounds about right. Mm -hmm. uh, so after the Civil War, uh, if anyone was angry about his attempted bio-warfare, uh, <laughs> he didn't get in much trouble for it. So it was biological warfare. You were using it to try to hurt the blacks, though, right? Well, okay, you can be governor. <laughs> well, northerners in general. Yeah, well, no. okay. same thing, fucking Yankees. <laughs> Okay, he is not a scrupulous dude. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so between profiting off of insurance money, war profiteering, attempted biological warfare, it's he's not a good dude. At one point, he uh, actually supposedly sabotaged the uh, brewery's gunpowder magazine by blowing it up. The brewery's gunpowder magazine. Yes. Um... I think you're getting ready to ask me the question, why does a brewery need a gunpowder magazine? I, yeah, something along those lines, yeah. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems, well, now that we've cleared that up. <laughs> it seems, from, from what most of what I can gather, it seems that his uncle had uh, a few business ventures, and I don't think... He was the sole owner of this powder magazine. It sounded like uh, there was a few people who owned this, and it was more of a business sort of thing. Like the, back in the 1860s, 
a lot of things are still under development. So, you know, dynamite or gunpowder is, is a useful thing to have, whether it's for terraforming purposes or whatever, but also because having gunpowder on hand is, is necessary for, you know, people for hunting and uh, soldiers and things like that. So I, I, I don't think it was specifically belonging to the brewery. Gunpowder also necessary for our new dark and smoky IPA. Come and try a sip now. <laughs> That would be great if that was one of his plots. It's like, oh, I'll put gunpowder in the beer and see if I can blow up the Yankees. Why has nobody thought of this? <laughs> anyway, allegedly, Sandy Keith Jr. was uh, sort of doing a sort of bait-and-switch sort of thing where he would take high-quality powder, gunpowder, from this magazine, sell it, then buy cheaper gunpowder and then resell that. And he blew up the powder magazine in order to sort of hide his swindle. Because he was worried about, like, some gunpowder expert walking in, you know, doing, like, the old detective thing, like, putting their finger into it and licking it. (laughs) This ain't the good stuff. (laughs) This is the cheap gunpowder. this powder with ash. You know, I have no idea how you could tell good gunpowder from gu- bad gunpowder. Maybe they have gunpowder detectives. Maybe they taste it. Maybe they just burn it and say, yeah, it burns good or something. I don't know. Well, this one catches on fire and that one catches on fire. So I reckon they're both gunpowder. Where's mm. my money? <laughs> okay, so... Now that we've established the sort of background of Sandy Keith, eventually, as it became clearer and clearer that the South was going to lose the war, Keith decided, well, you know, I could keep doing business with these Confederates as they desperately try to keep themselves supplied and things like that, or I could just pick up with all their money and take off with it. And as a very moral man, I'm curious which way he went from here. He left with uh, over a million dollars of investments. Uh, and when I say a million dollars, I'm talking about in today's money. So whatever, like adjusting for inflation. So it was over a million dollars worth of their investments. He just picked up from Halifax and he took off with it. I was going to say, I thought you meant a million dollars and then money. I was going to be like, in today money, that means he owns the universe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, adjusting for inflation. Uh, he took off and he decided to go hang out in Boston and New York, taking with him a chambermaid from a Halifax hotel. Oh, yeah, you gotta love those chambermaids. <laughs> I'm not even really sure what a chambermaid is. You know what a chamber pot is? Yeah. So a chambermaid is just women who empty that? Yeah, that they keep your pot that you take a shit in clean. Very sexy. Really? Okay, wow. <laughs> this is kind of awkward in a fucking hurry. <laughs> well, I'm just imagining this now. It's like, hey, I, I'm going to rip these guys off for, you know, over a million worth of investments. And, oh, hey, you, the woman who cleans, like, the shit pots, come with me. Hey, maybe she was hot. Oh, okay. All right, sure. So they took off for Boston and New York, basically living the high life. <laughs> she can really handle a turd. <laughs> <laughs> What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, All right. 
Moving on. So they took off for Boston and New York and started living it up on his, uh, his fortune that he stole from these people. Of course, the South lost the war, but these people didn't just disappear. So eventually a lot of his angry victims uh, started hiring detectives to look for him. That makes sense. And do not say that they lost the war if you're ever down here because people will just tell you that we'll rise again. But go ahead. You lost the war. We will rise again! You're not going to rise again. Explain Dane rising south. Sure thing. My neighbors probably hate me right now. (laughs) Okay. Between being hunted down by uh, private detectives and losing quite a bit of money on the New York Stock Exchange, Sandy Keith decided it was best to pick up and then head south. Probably needs to fuck off to somewhere they aren't looking. Yeah. This guy's good at burning bridges. Mm -hmm. He went and hung out in St. Louis for a while. Uh, Ah, the heroin capital of America. Is it the heroin capital of America? Well, they're currently playing against my Bruins in the Stanley Cup final right now, so fuck you guys. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. (laughs) You have a big heroin problem. Okay. So he takes off for there, uh, leaving the chambermaid behind in New York, so he basically abandoned the shit-pot cleaning woman that he took with him. I'm sorry, babe, but you just... Don't juggle my turds like you used to. <laughs> I'm just picturing this woman like juggling turds. Why would you juggle turds? <laughs> like, oh, you got to keep them, keep two in the air at all times. Yeah, yeah you got them going. You know, you got that. Um, like, <laughs> okay. Anyway, what a crazy time it was. He hooks up with another woman in St. Louis, a Milner's daughter, and. Uh, Eventually, he's hunted down again by uh, more of his victims, private detectives, and things like that. He manages to sort of escape by the skin of his teeth using both bribery and uh, his, you know, stolen money is sort of like a way out. And he takes off for Germany. He just gave them a lit stick of dynamo. He's like, here, hold this for a second. He zipped off. And they're like, <laughs> okay, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Uh, So much of this is becoming like a cartoon now. That's what I do, baby. There we go. Okay, he decides to take off for Germany. Lives in uh, Germany for a while under an assumed name. Now, of course, he's got all this money, and uh, he and his his newfound wife, uh, the Milner's daughter that he married, Madame Louise Paris was her name, they're living up the high life. They basically start burning through the money. That will happen. That will happen. The champagne flowed. They started to burn through their money. Eventually, down their la- they're down to their last like $5,000 or something like that, which was a lot of money at the time still, but it's not enough to keep living the high life that they've been living. It, it, it's not a million. It's not a million. Yes, it's definitely not a million. So it's at this point that, you know, Sandy Keith Jr. decides that he's got to make up some more money somehow. And, of course... He's lived a life of doing things so dishonestly that that's the only way he knows how to do it. Yeah, so he's just like going around Germany like, you guys, do you do, do, do slavery? Slavery? No? No, oh, shit. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> dynamite. <laughs> well, this is where we get to the dynamite because uh, one of the things, as we mentioned before, that, you know, he realized the value of taking out insurance on ships that could easily <laughs> okay. 
get lost at the bottom of the ocean. So he's going to start blowing stuff up for money. That's basically what it is. Now, you have to keep in mind the uh, prevailing technological limits at the time. Steam-powered ships were still relatively new, and, uh, of course, they work on a boiler system, so it's not uncommon for sometimes these boilers to explode, and sometimes these ships were lost in the open ocean. Come sail away, come <laughs> sail away. Yeah. <laughs> so, he said... Roughly because they blew up. Yes. So, he basically said, what if I could make it so that one of these uh, ships exploding was a sure thing. Isn't that everybody's dream? <laughs> Is it yours? Um, I feel like I'll get on a couple of watch lists if I say yes. So, yeah. <laughs> Basically, what Sandy Key Jr. decided was he said, okay, I will put some really expensive cargo, or I'll say I'm putting expensive cargo on these ships, and I'll insure it, and then also put a bomb on the ship. Then when the ship goes missing, I'll claim the insurance on the expensive cargo, quotation marks, that I put on the ship, and I can make bonus money. Now, honestly, that's not a bad idea. It, it, it's clever. It's, it's heartless and cruel, but it is clever. Yeah, it's, it's super shitty, but it's not, like, logically, if you take emotion out of it, it's not a bad idea. Just on the surface... It sounds like a good idea. Now, here's the thing. He said to the insurance agents, like, hey, I want to insure my huge chest of gold coins that's going on this boat. Now, if you were an insurance agent, of course you would say, Can I see that these exist? Exactly. And he was like, no. <laughs> that's sort of precisely what happened, right? So... He's like, okay, the plot sounds logical, it sounds good, it actually sounds kind of clever. Makes him sound like a bit of a dick, but it's clever. So <laughs> he's got this problem where he, he can't insure like super expensive cargo because they're going to want proof that this cargo exists, obviously before <laughs> insuring it. They ask him to open up the chest to show the gold coins, and it's just like a drawing of Weird Al Yankovic sucking his own dick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a, a bit of a mixing of timelines, but okay. It's maybe some an alternate yeah, universe. Yeah, how did he even know? <laughs> okay, anyway. The best that he could do was to ensure a uh, barrel of caviar. Well, that can get expensive. It can get expensive. Uh, of course, I, I, I'm only guessing that maybe it was caviar because if you go to an insurance agent and be like, this is caviar, they're like, okay, I'll take your word for it. You don't have to open up your stinky fish eggs. Yeah. But, uh, I, like, caviar is great. I've had it on a couple occasions. It's okay. I mean, and it is very expensive, of course. I, I like snobby food and fine dining, and the few times I've had it, it's not really my thing. If you can get some really good stuff, some really fresh stuff from Russia, and have it with some vodka, it's great. Well, yeah, I'm sure the vodka helps. Oh, yes, absolutely. Anyway, so he was able to insure this barrel of caviar. I, I don't even know if it really contained caviar or not, but he was able to insure it. Now, he was only able to insure it for 150 British pounds. Which is not a ton. Which is not a ton, especially to the amount of money that he had. There's been some speculation yeah. that he sort of did this as a test to see if his scheme would work. Anyway, he then 
went around to some... Uh, I, I thought this part was particularly funny. Now, of course, he's doing this under an assumed name because he doesn't want the detectives to find him. So he was either going around as, like, under the name William Thomas, or, in some cases, he was going around claiming to be a Russian businessman named Teodoro Viskov. Ah, uh, yes. The classic <laughs> Russian name. <laughs> it certainly sounds <laughs> Russian, but it, this this... Scottish immigrant to Canada living in Germany posing as a Russian businessman. It's like, that almost seems ridiculously absurd. He's getting his his voices confused. Like, I I like cold and being unhappy about things. (laughs) Anyway, so opposing uh, opposing is under one of these two identities. Uh, he went around to some expert clockmakers in places like uh, Germany and Austria, and he had them design a silent timer that would go off in 12 days. Sure. He, he's building a time bomb, basically, right? This is like one of the earlier types of like uh, bombing terrorism, I guess you could say in a way. He wasn't doing it for the purposes of terrorism. He was doing it for insurance fraud. But he's building a time bomb, so he needs like a silent clock, that he can stick in his cargo so no one will be like, hey, what's that ticking? Uh, And he needs it to go off when the boat is out in the open ocean, of course. Yeah, safety first. (laughs) It's interesting that you mention that because... Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, he registered this cargo to go on a ship called the Mosel. And uh, the Mosel was docked in the town of Bremerhaven, Germany. and uh, More like the Mosink. And he was on a ship that was moored next to it. Anyway, they start loading the cargo on this boat. And, of course, it's also carrying passengers and things like that. So there's all these people on the docks who are there to see their friends and family off. And these stevedores are loading the cargo onto the boat as well, preparing for it to leave the harbor. During the process of all of this, of course, Sandy Keith Jr.'s uh, barrel accidentally falls from whatever rig they have hauling it up to the ship. Now, this is a normal occurrence. Barrels fall. You pick it up. You put it back in. Now, of course, this barrel happens to contain 700 pounds of dynamite. Right. I hate when I drop 700 pounds of dynamite. Yeah. So... Or as I call it here, taking a shit. (laughs) Okay. It doesn't take a genius to figure out what happened next. Uh, 700 pounds of dynamite hit, uh, impacting on the dock caused a massive explosion. Yeah, I, I believe that's kind of what it does. Exactly. So, and of course, all these people are on the docks to see the boat off. Uh, there's all these people loading cargo and things like that. So there's a massive explosion on the docks. And, like, it's absolute carnage. Absolute carnage. 81 people killed. 50 more were injured. Jesus Christ. Yes, there was a gigantic smoking hole in the dock where this barrel impact. Yeah, that, that's a pretty high score. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, six foot d- deep hole, seven feet wide, 81 people killed, and all of this for 150 British pounds. That's it. Worth it? <laughs> Sandy Keith decided actually that it wasn't worth it because he went back into his cabin on the other boat and did the only thing that seemed sensible to him in that he shot himself in the head. Uh, that'd probably be where I'd be leaning at that point too when I accidentally blew up like 100 people. Mm-hmm. Like, he, whoops! He, he wrote a suicide note basically saying that, you know, 
I, I, I can't live down what I've seen, which is kind of strange. This is a guy who engaged in bio-warfare and, you know, propped up the Confederate States of America by aiding warfare. Like, he was a war profiteer, but then he kills... Like, I'm sure he's already been res- indirectly responsible for a lot of people's deaths. But I guess seeing it right in front of him was too much for him. So he shot himself yeah. in the head. Yeah, I mean, he was the middleman for all that other shit. He was responsible for probably tens of thousands of deaths, but he didn't do it directly, whereas this, he's directly responsible for blowing people up, so... I suppose uh, that's that true. poor guy. Mm-hmm. I suppose he that's... He got his feelings hurt. <laughs> I suppose that's true, but in attempting to, you know, do the right thing and shoot himself in the head, he messed up, uh, so he had to shoot himself <laughs> in the head a second time. He accidentally shot himself in the dick. Like, damn it! <laughs> He shot himself in the head once. It didn't kill him. So he shot himself in the head a second time. Now, unfortunately, that also didn't kill him. (laughs) They, later on, he was heard moaning in his cabin on the other boat. And uh, he was, you know, taken out. Yeah, I think he'd be moaning. He's got, like, a dual fountain coming out of his head. He's just like... Yeah, pretty much. Really? He was taken and he was put in a hospital with the, the other injured people because, of course, there's tons of injured people from the shrapnel or whatever from this giant explosion. Uh, unfortunately... Oh, so he's that. Yeah, of course, he immediately raises the suspicion of the police who find out, it's like, hey, among all these victims of explosion shrapnel, we've got this guy with two bullet holes in his head. No, no, those were always there from birth. (laughs) It became immediately apparent that he was the perpetrator of this horrible crime. Not much they could do. I mean, he's got two bullet holes in his head. It took him like five days to die. (laughs) I mean, fuck him, but that sucks. Yeah, it does. But like, you know, if Um, anyone deserved it, he probably did. Yeah, but I mean, still, he fucking turned his head into a bowling ball and then he's like sitting there for a week yeah that's kind of a rough way to go out it is it is his wife pleaded with him to come clean and stuff like that uh, i guess i i don't think he was particularly lucid for his last few days but like i guess they could speak well, to no, him he's got two fucking holes in his head <laughs> Well, he's apparently, not going to be like solving some impossible theorem at that point. He's going to be sitting there like, my brain fell out again. Mm-hmm. Apparently his wife actually begged doctors to kill him. As most wives do. Well, I guess like he <laughs> appeared to be suffering so horribly that, that that was what she asked them to do, I guess, to end his suffering in a way. Well, uh, Mr. Kevorkian wasn't available yet. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Here, well, okay, so it took him five days to die. I'm not going to feel particularly sympathetic for him suffering for five days after all the war profiteering and, you know, horror he's done to other people. I mean, who knows how many orphans and widows and widowers he made that day. Like, 81 people died and, you know, another 50 people injured. Who knows how many of them maimed for life. But here's where I think his story comes to an interesting end. Because they decided to preserve his head for scientific purposes. For what reason? Because he survived the double tap? I, I couldn't find 
much specific about it, but uh, I think around this time, a lot of people were big into phrenology. I don't know if you've heard of that pseudoscience before. Uh, it's the study of farts. No, uh, it's the study of like bumps on the head, right? It's like where they do that whole measuring like... Uh, I was close. <laughs> it's where they like measure your brain cavity like in bumps on your head and this is supposedly like able to tell you about your intelligence and character and things like this. It's a pseudoscience. It's been largely debunked now. Like really the only people who still believe in it are like Nazis and race theorists or whatever who like to prove that whatever races are inferior. Oh, oh yeah, no. Now I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. The whole cranium thing. But, yeah. I mean, I can tell you about his character. Dude was a dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's one thing that, you know, it was very common to take uh, heads of criminals and things like that and to analyze them in this science to see if it proved the theory or not. So anyway, his his uh, head was preserved for scientific purposes. And uh, it was uh, stored for many, many years inside a jar in a museum in Bremen. Yay. <laughs> and uh, in the end, uh, the museum was actually uh, hit by Allied bombs during the Second World War, and his head was lost among the rubble and probably eventually thrown into like an unidentified grave with whatever victims of that bombing there were. That's a fitting end. I, I would say it's kind of like a very sort of interesting turnaround that you know, as the result of war, his head in a jar, like, gets lost among the rubble. Yeah, he kind of died how we live, <laughs> in the middle of a bunch of fucking carnage. <laughs> yeah, in a way, yeah. Biscuit, what have we learned from this? Um, biological warfare is bad. You shouldn't try to kill Native Americans. Please do not commit genocide against Native Americans or any group of people. Anything else we've learned from it? Well, I mean, I think that's the big takeaway. And also, if you have 700 pounds of dynamite, don't drop it. Don't drop it. Uh, as a matter of fact, don't get 700 pounds of dynamite. I can't think of any good reason why you would need it. Rubber cigars. All right. There we go. If you want to make your own exploding cigars that are bound to land you in prison, <laughs> go and get yourself 700 pounds of dynamite. <laughs> what could go wrong? Okay, Biscuit, do we have anything to plug? I don't have anything this week, so I think we will go out on the don't commit genocide thing and leave on that happy. Yeah, I would also like to plug not doing genocide. Yeah, it it's bad. Yeah, yeah. I, it seems like a very easy thing to plug. Well, I'm a very simple man. There we go. We never really have anything to plug anyway. Like to remind all our listeners, please, uh, we are available on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Big Bad Nonsense. If you want to email us, bigbadnonsense at gmail.com. Twitter, at bigbadnonsense. We love to hear from you. If you've enjoyed the show, please share it with other people. If you don't, Biscuit will go out and, I don't know, throw bricks at uh, cars. Thank you. I got dynamite. We'll fucking settle this. You're gonna end up liking it. <laughs> Please, just like it before he does something dangerous. I love you, God. Thank you, pod people. It's been great to know that you're listening. And out. Boat!
Then I put my fist up my ass. 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 Then I put my fist up my ass.